Thank you for that musical team for leading us in worship, the worship of singing. That was awesome. Thank you, everybody, for singing and for participating in that. That was awesome as well. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles now to 1 Corinthians 15. I always wrestle with what to preach on Resurrection Sunday because there's a number of different ways you can go and passages you can choose. This particular Sunday will be a little bit different if you're visiting with us in our approach because uh, I won't be in just one passage. This is more topical and I'm choosing this year to preach on the resurrection of Christ helping us think about it in the perspective of time. That is, we're going to spend a few minutes looking at resurrection past and what we should think about that, but also the fact that Christ is alive now and is the risen King and how we should look at it in terms of the present and then also in the future. So the past and the present and the future aspects of the resurrection. Let's read, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 15. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Let's just pause and ask God's blessing on the word preached this morning. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus and ask you now, as we look at your word and as I attempt to preach and to teach, that you would, by your spirit, enable me to do that, that you would open up our minds to understand the scriptures, that Christ would be glorified. Father, it is so easy for us to lose focus of our first love, the love we had at first for the Lord Jesus. 
It is so easy for us to be distracted by so many other things that cloud our vision of the risen Christ. And so I'm praying to you for your glory and our eternal good that this morning we would see Jesus clearly, love him more, and be convinced and committed to leave this room this morning to live our lives for him. We ask all of this in his name. We ask it of you, knowing that only you, God, can do that kind of work in people. And so we pray it in his name. Amen. First of all, let's think of the resurrection in time, in the, from the aspect of the resurrection past. And by that I mean this. Our faith... Our beliefs are resting in a historical event or events that happened 2,000 years ago. And we are to read these in the gospel accounts as history. This really happened. This isn't just something, these aren't myths, these aren't fables, these aren't legends. We are to, our whole faith is resting on the fact that Jesus was there, that he lived, that he was buried, that he uh, rose again on the third day. We are supposed to view these events as history. On Friday night, we gathered here to remember the cross, the place and time at which the Son of God incarnate took upon himself our sin. This is what Paul means, of course, in 1 Corinthians 15 when he said, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That is, when he was on the cross, he was there paying the price for our sins, dying the kind of death we deserved, bearing the wrath of God that was directed for us, right? He took upon himself the guilt and penalty of our rebellion against God. We remembered the time in which Jesus suffered for us, and we believe wholeheartedly that at the cross, there's the place and the time in which all our sins are washed away by his blood. But as this morning, as we come to this morning, we are all very much joyfully aware. Our faith does not rest exclusively in the cross. Our faith rests in the fact that though Jesus died for our sins, he rose again the third day and that it really happened. And this is so significant, Paul puts it with the whole gospel. He said, here's the gospel of first importance that you believed by which you're being saved. In other words, there's no other gospel than this one. That Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, which showed that he was dead, and that he rose again, and a whole bunch of people saw him. Like in Paul's account, over, you have over 500 people that saw the resurrected Christ. You know, friends, when we read these accounts of these 
narratives of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, we must understand that these were written as pieces of history where they are presenting to you evidence so that your faith in Jesus isn't just some blind leap in the dark, but that there is actual evidence to back these things up. As an example, an empty tomb that could never be resolved. Do you know today we could travel to the tomb of Buddha if we wanted to, If you were a Muslim male, you could make arrangements to go to the tomb of Muhammad, but you would not be able to schedule a tourist visit to the tomb of Jesus Christ and see anything in there. He is not there. He has risen from the dead. This was actually a thorn in the side of the early Jewish people. Some of you read Matthew's account of this. He explains that The Jews themselves who did not believe in Jesus had to pay off guards to say things like, well, his disciples came in and stole him away right under the nose of the the Roman guards, which is nonsense. But they somehow had to explain the empty tomb. This is, Paul says that over 500 people saw him at one time. And if you don't believe me, go to one of them and ask because most of them are alive to this present day. I mean, what kind of idiot would you have to be to write a letter to a church that you knew would be read to all these people at the church and then distributed to other churches in which you make a claim that over 500 people saw Jesus alive and you're making this claim that they saw him and then saying, well, they're alive to this day. You could even verify what I'm saying and they'll tell you the same thing. You would have to be a fool to write a letter like that. Because anybody at any point could refute what you're saying. We were even discussing this earlier this morning with somebody. And we were talking about the fact things like Matthew records. Like the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Matthew, being a Jew, wrote that. Sent it out to other Jews. Knowing that if it were not true. If what he said was not true. Any one of the disbelieving Jews that have said, that's ridiculous, that never happened. Any one of the ones working at the temple that rejected Jesus, which would have been the vast majority of them, would have said, that's ridiculous, that never happened. Or the fact that people rose from the dead, even in that event at the great earthquake, or all of the events they record. It would have been a great risk to make this stuff up, then send it out to the very people you're claiming who were there who are going to refute what you're saying, you see. The resurrection of Christ is so important to the gospel that the Bible goes out of the way to prove to you it's true. Like the burden of proof that it's not true is in the skeptic's court, not in the Christian's court. There's abundant evidence for the resurrection of Christ, even 2,000 years later. But he puts this much emphasis on evidence because, friends, the resurrection is absolutely essential to the gospel. That without the resurrection, there is no good news. That's what Paul goes on to explain, isn't it, in 1 Corinthians 15? He goes on to explain that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then that means we're all still in our sins. And quite frankly, 
It means we're wasting our time being here. Because probably all of us could make a list of many things, if Jesus were not truly risen from the dead, that we could find to do and really enjoy to do on a beautiful Sunday afternoon, right? But if he is risen, that changes everything. It is central to the gospel. Without the resurrection, there is no good news. Did you know that the early church, these apostles went out, Jesus said to them in Luke 24, you're witnesses of these things now. And their primary testimony as they went preaching wasn't the cross, though that was always in it. Their primary message was that Jesus is the promised Messiah, that he died and he rose again. And he's alive right now. And that's why the call of the gospel is this. Because he died and rose again, and he's ruling and reigning as Lord, and he's coming again to judge the living and the dead, now you must repent and trust in him. That's the idea. Now, I believe that the Lord understands how difficult it is for people, some people, especially some Christians, hundreds and thousands of years detached from the historical event itself to really believe it happened. But I don't know if you ever considered this. There is a special blessing that the Lord Jesus pronounces upon those of us who are here in this room, believe that he rose from the dead, but have never seen him, okay? Which is, by the way, everyone in this room who believes in Jesus, okay? We've not seen him, but we believe in him. And Jesus himself promises really special blessing upon them. Some of you maybe know the account I'm talking about. It's poor old Doubting Thomas. That's the name he got. One of the 12. And so the other men were gathered together. Jesus appears to him. Thomas wasn't there. Don't know what he was doing. But he wasn't there. He eventually rejoins the group. The group says, Jesus was here and we saw him. And Thomas is like, well, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Maybe some of you, that resonates with you. Like you really can. You think about Thomas and you think, that resonates with me. I'm an evidence type of person. I, I need to see it before I believe it. Eight days later, which to me seems like a long time to keep old poor Thomas in suspense here, (laughs) Jesus appears to the group again. And Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. Are you someone who believes in Jesus and you've never seen him? 
then hear him say to you this morning, hear him say it, not me. Blessed are you who have never seen but yet have believed. You're blessed. Your life may have plenty of struggles. In the eyes of the world, you may look anything to be anything but blessed. But friend, if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, if you come to this Easter Sunday service with a heart full of faith in Jesus, what we sing about, what we read about, then hear Jesus himself say to you, you are blessed. Don't disbelieve, but believe. So when we think about the resurrection, we think about it in terms of a literal historical event that happened in the past that is absolutely essential to the good news. However, and this is super important, we must also think about the resurrection in terms of the present, that is our present lives. Did you know that the fact that Jesus is alive is supposed to change everything in your life. It changes everything in your life. When you've come to the conclusion of who Jesus is, and that he died, but that he rose again, and that he's alive now, that is supposed to change everything for you. We must remember that when we're thinking about the resurrection and we're celebrating Easter, we're not just thinking about a historical event, but a very present reality that he has risen indeed and is alive now, you see. This matters for a whole bunch of reasons I can't bring out this morning, but let me bring out a few here for you, okay? First, knowing that he is alive right now, that he, like we read in Luke earlier, ascended into heaven, went behind the clouds as the disciples watched him ascend and then was accepted into the presence of the Father. That matters because now we know he is alive and is interceding for us, his people. He's right now interceding for us next to at the right hand of the Father. Here's why that matters. Paul says in Romans 8, verses 33 to 34, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And in this context, it means this. Let me ask you this question. Has anybody in this room sinned this week? Could the devil or anyone else who was around you when you sinned bring some kind of charge against you? Look what they did. They claim to be a Christian. Ha! Look what they did. That's a charge against you. Paul's question is this. Since the risen Christ, 
who died for our sins, rose again and is interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. Since he's there, who can bring any charge against us that will stick, you see? Because any charge that is hailed against us is irrelevant because of Jesus Christ and because he's alive at the right hand of the Father. You see what that means? That means in your position and status with God on your worst day, nothing changes because he doesn't change and he is alive and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's interceding, Christian, for you, not just all the other Christians, (laughs) but for you, he's interceding. That means Nothing you do can be brought against you in any kind of condemning way. Because Jesus is alive, we can know we are right with God through him, even when we sin and fail. We look to the risen Christ by faith and know that his death was sufficient and his righteousness is ours. And no matter what, nothing then can condemn us. When my... Children were little, at least, I think Calliston Wyatt, when they were going to sleep, one of the songs I had memorized because it's my favorite hymn that I would sing to them each night was the hymn that was written in the 1880s, I believe, by an Irish woman who had immigrated to the United States. It's called Before the Throne of God Above. I grew up in church for 18 years singing hymns. We never sang that hymn. That is tragic. And if you have a hymn book that doesn't have it, it's not a hymn book. (laughs) Listen to this. In light of resurrection present, Christ alive, interceding for us. Before the throne of... And this, this is a song for sinners... So in their worst moments and in their struggles with sin, they're going to get their eyes off themselves. Get it off yourself and get your eyes of faith where it belongs because your faith should have never been resting in your performance anyway, right? And you're looking to Jesus before the throne of God. I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. And I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Now when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, you see, upward I look. And see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Friends, behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness 
the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace, one with himself I cannot die, my soul is purchased by his blood, my life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my savior and my God. You see why that matters now? And your journey of discipleship, to be looking to the risen king, your perfect spotless righteousness. And the risen Christ loves and cares for you, friend. Never forget that personal element of Jesus. He cares for you and he loves you. That's why the author to the Hebrews in this context of the risen Christ interceding for us says this, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Don't let it go. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Do you sense your own weaknesses and failures and shortcomings? Well, guess what? Good news. You have a high priest who is able to sympathize with your weaknesses. One who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin, thank God. Let us then with confidence now, not shirking back or shame or fear or anxiety or with doubt, but let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friend, if you need help this morning, Take comfort in the fact that Jesus is alive and he is willing and able to help you with whatever it is that you're going through, you see. Because he is alive and he cares for us and because he's ruling from his throne of grace, we can go to him at any time. And friends, because Jesus is alive right now and he is interceding for us, That means we live for him. We live our lives for him. If it is true that he died for us and he rose again and he's interceding for us, that's what I mean by it changes everything for us now. The whole direction of our life now is not lived for ourselves but for him, you see. This is exactly what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15. He said he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. Now, I don't know. Let me pause there. I don't know if you knew this or not. But when you come to faith in Christ and you trust in him, Your life takes on such a different direction that it couldn't be described as though you're living for yourself anymore. If the cross is real, if the resurrection is real, and you really believe it, it's not like you could characterize your life as, well, I live for myself now, see? I do what I want to do. I do what's right for me. I do what makes me feel a certain way right? I I deserve to be happy. I do this. I do this. I got to take care of my, all these things. No, you live your life now for him. You no longer live for yourself. That was what you did before 
you came to Christ, you see. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised, you see. If Jesus did die for us and is living to intercede for us now, how much sense would it make for us to live any other way but for him? See, we can even reason this through in a rational way. We live for him now. And friends, you think about this. You're not devoting your life to the memory of some dead man Yeah, I'm going to live for that man who died. You know, that dead man, he had some good teachings. And I'm going to apply those good teachings into my life. And I'm going to do that. You don't live for someone who's dead. You live for the one who is alive right now. That's the present reality of the resurrection and how it impacts our life and then the future. Let's think about the terms of the future. What other, what other thing can we think about and meditate on with the resurrection and even be encouraged by, maybe be helped by? It's this fact that there is another resurrection coming. And this time, it's our resurrection. We will be raised from the dead. We will be made like Christ. Those of you who come on a regular basis, you'll be familiar with this next verse, Romans 6, 5, which is where really we're picking up this next week. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We will be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is what we mean when we say the Christian hope. The future resurrection glory that we're all going to experience, those of us who are in Christ. John chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus promised everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. It's a promise He made. Every one of us will face death. Every one of us have walked with others we've loved through death. Death is the reality we all face. We often don't like to think about it or face it, but it is certain. So we are the ones who are trusting in the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And when he said that in John chapter 11, as soon as he said that, he walked to the tomb of a man who had been dead for four days, Lazarus. Four days. He stood at the uh, entrance to the tomb and said, Lazarus, come out. And do you know what happened? John tells us that the man who had died came out of the tomb. This is what Jesus has promised. Now, imagine this. As Jesus said these words, I'm the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. I promise that I'm going to raise you from the dead. And then let's say he dies and he was buried in his tomb to this very day. 
Could you trust in that man? I mean, truly, the taunters then, when he was on the cross, would be right. He, he's claiming to be able to save others. He can't even save himself. I mean, he's promising life and eternal life and conquering death and resurrection. And here he is, dead in a tomb. But see, friends, the fact that Jesus rose again now. As Paul calls him in Romans chapter 8, the firstborn among many brothers means that we too will share in the same resurrection. He's able, he's able now as the risen Christ King to fulfill his word to you and raise you up on the last day. You can trust him. When you come to your deathbed, have these words in your mind and heart and you put your faith in him you put your trust in him he's promised that physical death isn't going to be the last word over you he's promised everyone who believes in me I will raise you up on the last day you see we go right to our very deathbeds with the future hope of our resurrection We wait for it now, as Paul said in Philippians 3, verses 20 to 21, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. Now, friends, let me close with one passage here at the end of 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 50. Because Jesus rose from the dead and is alive and will fulfill all of his promises for us in resurrection, listen to these wonderful words. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and when the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass what is written... Listen to this. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I love this. Personifies death and then taunts it. The sting of death is sin. In the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory now through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to the conclusion, verse 58, in light of that. So if you believe these things, here's the conclusion, here's the exhortation, here's the application to everything I've just said. You ready? Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast now, immovable, and in your life always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that because Jesus is alive, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Father.
Thank you for these glorious gospel truths. Thank you for Jesus. Restore unto us, please, the joy of our salvation. Fill us with passion for the risen Christ King so that we will live for Him and not for ourselves. Make us a steadfast, immovable people who are always abounding in the work of the Lord, waiting for that glorious day. And we pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And may we be among the generation who do not sleep but are caught up into heaven to be with Him. We ask this in His name. Amen.